Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Jesus Christ, Doc, you disintegrated Einstein. Disintegrated Einstein. Einstein. Welcome to Science at the Movies, a podcast that looks at the role of science in some of our best loved and most hated movies. I'm Frida. I'm Abby, and this week's movie is 2001 A Space Odyssey. Wow. It's our three year anniversary. Actually, I think our three year anniversary was like maybe when you did Small Soldiers, but like we didn't need to talk about it then. It's much better to commemorate our three-year anniversary by me being late and, like, fucking everything up. Because that is, you know, Abby being, like, on top of shit and making a lot of effort to be organized. And Frida just rushing in and being like, oh, my God, you guys, I'm here. I'm so sorry. My presence is only what's required. (laughs) Exactly. So that seems appropriate. All right, go on. You said you have some news. What's your news? I bought a new computer. So did I. Year. <laughs> I bought a gold. Ma- I, I bought them all. So did I. Sort of- gold? Did you make it gold? <laughs> no. <laughs> what the fuck? I made it gold. I was like, I'm going all in. That's crazy. I bought the M1 chip because of the M2. I thought I didn't need to get the latest Apple. You know, I, I thought I'll get an Air. I'll get the M1 chip, a bit older model. I'll, you know, that seems to be enough for podcasting and I'll get it gold. I got and the M2 Air. <laughs> gold. Gold. Yeah, I got the M1. Oh, that's really I'm curious funny. to see what the difference is going to be. That oh my Gabby, God. Gabby. Sorry, my friend, that's a different person. You're Abby, not Gabby. Jesus. But we, I love that we got the gold. We are funny. That's really funny <laughs> I, I remember enough, all though. those times that my computer died during recording remember all those times yeah. we had to stop and restart because my co- i have had my old macbook air for eight years eight yeah. years <laughs> finally i was like i need a new one this is ridiculous so i was like if i'm gonna have to have it for like eight more fucking years i'm gonna get one that's gonna work for that long so, and it's gonna be gold it'll be like oh. yeah it's <laughs> It's me, your amazing laptop that's never going to fail. I know. Uh, I can't wait. Yeah. Oh, so that's so I, funny. Oh, my um, God. That is really funny. That's like um, me and Milanka, who works, who, you know, works with me like twice. We've gone on two overseas conferences together and, you know, we have to independently book our own trips and then they reimburse us. And both times we got the same route. We like we figured that will be the best flight like because yeah. you'll arrive here and we ended up on the same flight because <laughs> we're both the same logic it's amazing it's great all right yeah um, yeah but i had an, i had another little thing to, okay, go to on. say which go is on. That, um, I, yeah i told you you've got you've got you've got it's very quick <laughs> i was on the university campus i usually am not on campus i'm usually in the hospital next to campus and there was these um young girls and they were coming like because it's a mid-year people are starting mid-year mm. um whatever you call it starting on the middle of the year and they were like here they were seriously talking like this they were like here we are guys 
the University of Melbourne. Who would have thought? And then they were like, that looks like a good cafe. Welcome to Melbourne, where all the cafes are cool. And then they were walking through and they were like, guys, it's a physics building. They were like, oh my God, guys, physics building. And then they were like taking photos. It was adorable. They were so excited. They were like, that's the old physics building. I can't believe it. I can't believe I'm here. And I just was walking behind them. I was like, yeah. Oh, that's so (laughs) So sweet. That is so so sweet. (laughs) Yeah, we've been having um, open days all this week as well. So like, yeah, there's just so many people around, like, you know, kids with their parents just walking around and exploring and like, you know, there's like chalk written all over all the streets to all the different colleges of like where to go and stuff. And it's just, it's just really nice. And then I get to the physics building and yeah, there's just all these young, young people with their, with their families exploring the physics building. And you're just like, oh, don't look too hard. It's really old. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like you get all excited because you're like, ooh, physics, Oxford. And then you're like, yeah, don't go into that building. It's been in existence for hundreds don't of years. <laughs> Don't look too it's the closely, same guys. door that was built a hundred years ago. <laughs> but that is so exciting, though, coming to like yeah. physics at a big university. Like, I, yeah. yeah, it's so cute. It you is. It is exciting, isn't it? Um, yeah, probably. No, no, I don't have anything else that I would like to talk about. I just kind of want to get into this movie, man. Let's go. Also, the way I've structured it. Have you seen the structure? Yes. Okay, cool. So, so it's yeah, we're interesting, and yeah. I will do my best to follow it to like because yeah. there's parts where I'm, yeah, you know, you're like, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll do my yeah, best. Yeah, I've yep. done very, very minimal. <laughs> this is a very minimal, <laughs> minimal episode. <laughs> Great. Also, do you know what I've just realized? Um, like it's fine. I'm not going to do anything about it, but. I wrote the entire episode yesterday without referring to my notes from when I watched the movie. I've only just realized that now, so I actually don't know if there's anything that I haven't included. So yeah, we'll see. Anywho. Well, um, I mean, I guess that's what happens when it's like a famous movie. You've seen so much of it. Yeah, there's, there's, you don't kind of, um, yeah, I didn't add in my what the fuck, but I know exactly what it is. That's fine. Anywho. All right. So wait, you, you were going to, you look like you were going to say something. You went, (gasps) Yeah, well, I wanted to how I watched this movie was that I, I met it like an actual fan of this podcast, Shane. Shout out, leave a fucking review, Shane. Um, <laughs> and I ended up having a watch party with a bunch of people, like a couple Aww. of which were actual podcast fans. And we ended up going away, away for the night to a place where there was like a sort of a home theater and watched it all together. So what? I watched I watched this movie with a bunch of people and I was like, I can't believe, like I was like, it was like a science at the movies moment where we watched it and I was like, just yell Aww, shit out. I'm yell so shit jealous. out when you think of it. Yeah, it was, it was, it was like an amazing experience where I sort of felt like, I was taking up some space in the world and it was okay. It was really I nice and so validating. jealous. I would love that. I've often thought that. I've often thought, because you can do watch parties as well, like with, um, like, you know, just on Amazon or on Netflix, you can set up like a watch party so you can just all watch mm. it at the same time. And I was like, that would be such a cool thing to do. I would love to do that. Yeah. Oh, that sounds so amazing. Oh, well. Yeah, it was amazing. And it well, was funny because in the beginning, people were shouting shit out, but eventually everyone just watched the movie, yeah. you know, because why wouldn't you? And so, yeah, it was, but it was, yeah, yeah it was lovely. So okay, it was well, nice to see real life people that actually love the podcast and told me nice things about it. So anyway, that's it. Okay. Well, I watched it on my own in my front room, but fine. 
Okay. Here we go. Some 2001. <laughs> yeah. 2001 A Space Odyssey. It follows a path of human evolution from the first tools to a journey through space. A mysterious monolith has been uncovered on the moon, sparking rumours about what happened to the people that found it. Inexplicably, this leads to a secret mission to Jupiter, where our brave astronauts are guided by the HAL 9000, an AI supercomputer that is 100% right all the time, no questions asked. So when something goes wrong with their communications equipment, the astronauts have to find a way to survive in a system that is entirely controlled by the computer that is in no way malfunctioning. No way, no how. Open the door, Hal. I don't have much else to say. Uh, This movie is revolutionary in many ways and, of course, hugely influential. Um, But the story, however, is completely open to interpretation, which, of course, was done intentionally. So... Like, we'll talk about our personal interpretations of the movie later, but what's your general feel on it? Um, general feel, reporting. Um, um, well, it's just gorgeous. I think my, my general, my feelings about it on the whole as a movie is that every shot is iconic and it's and it's just so brilliantly photographed that you can't help but just watch with amazement. And the fact that I watched it on a big screen for the first time, like a proper big screen means I saw every detail of the mm. beautiful sets and of course the music. And so that that's, that's what it's just more like a visually it's amazing. That's my yeah. first feelings. That's how, that's like how I approach the movie for sure. What I the was plot thinking thing comes later, you know, I was yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. I think about it. What's it about? You know, it's like, yeah. Yeah. But like, I, I agree with you. It's it's just one of those. But I, I found it interesting because you were talking about how you would rather, how you really want to do more quiet movies. And I don't know if you classify this as a quiet movie, but I certainly do because that's what's so interesting to me about it. It's such minimal dialogue because there's there's no need for there to be so much dialogue realistically when when you've got such beautiful visuals and when you're trying to express something you can use minimal words. So I just thought it was really cool. I really liked that about mm. it. It's also not about people and plot. It's about it's about ideas. It's about things that are so much greater than the drama between people. Mm. That dialogue is only there just to push along, like to explain something minimally. The movie, take it pulls back so far as to our, like, where we belong in the massive scheme of things. And that's why it's also, I think, special in a sense. It's, it's totally different. You, it, you can reflect yeah. on such huge ideas as opposed to drama and like plots between humans that, you know, chatty, chatty Dawson's Creek, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's, it's almost like it's, it's snobby in a funny way. It's like, oh, I'm not going to concern myself with that talky shit. Yeah. There's there's so much uh, there's so much I want to say, but it's going to come up in the sections as we kind yeah. of go through them. So, in keeping in that that in mind, is there anything else that you would just like to highlight before we start getting into it a bit deeper? I don't think there is. Okay, we I put it so that we had some final comments at the end as well. Anyway, because I just figured so much yes, of what we want to I say will come that. up in the different sections, and then we can talk about instead of trying to figure out at the start what. Um, <laughs> I agree. What might not come up. So in terms of the cast, now I there's there's a there's very minimal main characters, but then there's actually a 
quite a lot of people in the movie. But the main characters that we're talking about are Keir Delea, who is uh, David Bowman, Gary Lockwood as Frank Poole, William Sylvester as Haywood or Floyd, and Douglas Rain as Hal 9000. I don't really have much to say about the cast, other than I like them all. And as we were kind of hinting at a minute ago, it reminds me of a time when we weren't so over the top about everything. You know, does mm. that make sense? Like, like things can be suspenseful um, without having to be, you know, oh my God! <laughs> through imagery, through music, that you can create a mood that, yeah, you, do, yeah, you don't have to explain it. That's yeah, you don't, you don't have to have yeah. over the top expressions and reactions and interactions in order to express the the suspense of what's going on what's um, yeah, what's so, yeah. actually happening yeah uh, yeah i like want to talk this, about yeah yeah we'll talk i want to talk about the astronauts in a little bit in terms of okay. the when we talk about the people but um is there anything cast wise that you kind of want to pick out yeah well it's funny because the thing about the cast i think is that they just look like normal people they don't look mm-hmm. they're not like famous or they don't they just look like people and I think it's smart because it makes you not focus on them as people and again it just encourages you to 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 look a little bit more bigger picture because you're not so focused on like this person they just look so forgettable in my in my mind they just look like they could be anybody yeah they're not and they're not playing it in any way like the way they act they're just like yeah, what do you, what do you think? How? Uh huh. Uh huh. They're not having these like big actor moments where they're making yeah. it all about them. And again, all of this stuff is just intended to be like, this is about bigger things, lofty yeah. things. Um, the only thing I wanted to pick out is Frank Miller is in it. Uh, Frank Miller, as in yeah, comic book writer, very famous, Sin City three hundred. Uh, he plays the mission controller, and I just thought, hey, that's interesting. Is, that the, is it the guy, I, I'm looking at people, is that the guy that speaks to them on the iPad? Uh, I think so. That's so cool. So yeah. Cool. All right, so we are going straight into our first section. I'm very impressed by this. We're 15 minutes in, we're going into tropes. Let's do this, Frida. Love mm-hmm. it. I said this was going to be a short one. <laughs> um, she says before we start actual having discussions. <laughs> it always changes. Okay, so tropes, Frida. Do you have tropes that you wanted to pick out? It's so hard. I mean, it's not yeah, fair. Yeah, no, I know. I it's know. It's not fair. I yeah. But I, I chose one anyway. Did you? My okay. was secrecy. Was just okay. Secrecy, like the the whole thing of the not the secrecy around yeah. what they were doing and everything. That was what I chose. Secrecy. Okay, like the, the whole scene with the Russians and the whole secret and then like this secret I can't say anything and then they're covering up and they're saying it's actually this and then this that's all I could come up with sorry <laughs> no that's fair I was the same no I didn't come up with anything I was like it's the movie you know I mean it's a revolutionary movie and it's approach to everything at the time that it was made so anything that I spot as a trope is a trope that other movies adopted because of this movie. So it's not like it wasn't a trope when it was made. This was the first of its kind. I don't think there was anything like this movie before it was released. So how could I possibly say? So I was just like, no, there's no point. I'm not picking one. Yeah. It was was like like Kubrick films. It was ahead of its time, except Mm. for 
one little thing that he is unable to be ahead of his time about, and that's his, his use of women, women in film. I knew you were going we to say to that women. At the end. He, he can envision, he can envision a future where, blah, he, he's a visionary, but he still is like the flight attendants are all hot women. But like, I he will can't say think this. beyond that. No, listen, I will say this. This is not a Kubrick trait. All science fiction, for the most part, written at this time period, does the same. And I find it amazing. Like, Heinlein <laughs> books are fantastic. They're great. I really enjoy them. But, like, so much of the way he depicts women in this futuristic idea, you're like, okay, great. You're one of the godfathers of science fiction. You're one of the originators of hard science fiction. And you couldn't imagine a future where women were in control, <laughs> like, or where women were equal. You know, it still had to be. And people can argue with me about this to their heart's fucking content. But I'm sorry, I will pick out the moments where women in those books are even the ones who manage to make their way up. There's always they're always sexualized in some way. It's just like this is just a trait. This is a trait of that time period that alt science fiction, for some reason, could not envision futures for women without us still being sexual objects. Yeah, it was crazy. There, There are... And people will come back to say in the in the conference, you know, scene there are two women. I'm like, yes, I know he chucked two women in that scene. Well done. Like it doesn't refute in my mind yeah. the fact that the flight women are still flight attendants. Uh, you know what I mean? And there's a couple. The Russians have women scientists. Like this is all good. But I do think Kubrick. You know, if you look at Kubrick's film, this is the reason why I struggle with Kubrick. I know he's a, he's one of those like he's a genius. Everything he does is a genius. But have you seen A Clockwork Orange? Have you seen that terrible scene? What he did to Shelley Duvall in The Shining? The way women are in the eyes mm-hmm. wide shut. I think like I know he's this genius, but I can't really stomach a lot of his feelings of, and the way he presents yeah. women too like it the, it's 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 upsets me a little bit and so um yeah that's why female directors and visionaries are so important because they can imagine it because they're women so it's just nice um but anyway yeah. that's the trope yeah. there we go okay well <laughs> coming out of tropes then and we're going straight into we're yeah. in it we're in it we're doing we're doing science of this movie now something that i found interesting was that when we talk about science fiction, there are a few classes, right? There's like science fantasy, like Star Wars. There's totally fictional science, like fucking Geostorm. We've been through many of those types of movies. Uh, And then what we have is we've got two types of the main class of science fiction. So we've got soft science fiction, which looks at the effects of science and technology through character stories without attempting to explain it. So movies like After Yang. And then we have hard science fiction, which focuses on the science and the technology itself, attempting to be as realistic as possible. So like movies like The Martian. So I've determined that while you originally were not a science fiction fan, but you have admitted recently that you are starting to come around to science fiction because you are a soft science fiction fan. Hmm. soft sci-fi is your jam how this technology how this futuristic scientific ideas affects people how it influences people and characters and societies and behaviors and i think that that's your vibe so you are a science fiction fan but that's your class i think well is moon hard or soft i think moon is hard science fiction moon is is hard science fiction fiction, but that's because it's um it's realism is so, mm. uh, and yeah, it does have a lot of that. detail. Mm. 
I feel I but d- it I is character driven like... as well like there's obviously I mean I would I would see the Martian as being quite character driven but a lot of the focus is on ensuring totally. the accuracy of the science and the technology totally. but something like after Yang it included science fiction in it but it made no attempt to explain it mm. and that's what yeah, I think that's what I, I'm yeah. saying it's like when there's no attempt to try to explain it or or when there's no attempt and I know that you enjoy those types of movies so I just mm. thought that was interesting yeah I just had a thought in my head which is that I like when movies are just more cinematic because mm. I get a lot of my kicks of explaining how shit works elsewhere. So maybe for me, I'm like, it's like the way yeah. you say it, you read your emotional sort of stories come from your novels. You don't need that fix. You need that escapism. And so I think for me, it doesn't do anything for me, yeah. the whole like how this thing can work. Oh my God, isn't that so cool? That whole techie aspect of science yeah. fiction doesn't do anything for me because I think I get my rocks off elsewhere. I think for me, what it is, is I'm like an all science fiction fan, but I definitely lean more towards hard sci-fi, but it's not because I get kicks out of I don't necessarily get kicks out of explaining it. It's more what I get kicks out of is like, ooh, what could you learn from this? Like, I always think about the person who's not the scientist, the person who's not learning and understanding mm-hmm. um, about these concepts. And then you kind of look at it and you're like, it was the same for like, I had a moment with the book Project Hail Mary where there's this great scene in it and the alien Rocky, their species, um, never developed the a concept of relativity. So they were able to travel to this distant star without understanding relativity. So they didn't realize that the time it would take them to get there was going to be less than what they had predicted. And also when they start slowing down, they're confused because the star keeps moving away from them. And they're like, why is it moving away? Why are we not getting closer to it? It's because of length contraction. So I was just like, that's such a great little bit in it where I'm like this is such a cool way to to teach people about length contraction so I don't know I just think that's kind of where my vibe is anyway we're prattling on about this no but I hear that I hear that yeah it's cool it's cool if you're interested it's like cool and some people I just honestly love when people actually use cool science ideas to make a story like time dilation interstellar like fuck yeah because this is the coolest shit ever and they're using it to tell a good story yeah so I hear that I hear that yeah I don't think I really know where I stand I'm all over Mm. the place We'll see. We've we've been developing you for three years. We've got time. <laughs> um, 2001 is a hard science fiction movie. Um, and one of the earliest depictions of it. Now, you might kind of counter that because it's like, well, it is quite character driven to a certain degree. Um, they don't really explain a whole lot in the movie. So it might sound like it's more soft sci-fi. But you've got to think about the time period of when this movie was made. Um, And one of the reasons the movie was so groundbreaking was the depiction of space travel. Keeping in mind, like I said, that this movie was released in 1968, which was the very beginning of our spaceflight efforts. So much of it is centred around mimicking commercial flight. Um, So like one flight to get to the station with a bit of time hanging out in the space Mm. lounge before hopping on your connecting flight to the moon, which makes total sense when you think of the time period. Like, of course you would... You would imagine spaceflight, like you think about how do we fly on planes, spaceflight will just be the same thing. So it makes sense that that would be your futuristic idea of what spaceflight should be. So how, how do you feel about this so far? Yeah, I, I even heard a better one. It was like, it's right after the first time they sent something into space that came back. And uh-huh. so it starts to think of the idea of like things coming from space and yeah. what can it be? And so when you put it in that time, 
like it's so it's such an like an obvious place for someone who's a visionary to be like oh my god like what can what can be coming from space but yeah i agree with you if if we're traveling to moon that's now possible of course you know at that time in the 60s where you all you can think of is like accelerating this like nothing will stop the acceleration of humans into yeah. space so obviously there'll be hotels soon and then they have what do they have the howard johnson they have the hilton you know yeah. it's and even you know like in Mad Men, there's a whole thing with hilton comes and he wants the thing and so they go you know they make a hilton on the moon as part of the campaign and the guy's like is there really going to be a hilton on the moon it's so it, it seems almost like in the 60s that that was where everyone's mind goes and so it's firmly in it's almost like born from reality it's not arbitrary i think is the best way to say it it's firmly like a just some steps ahead if we imagine human progress will keep going um and it won't be slowed down by anything then of course we'll go this way and maybe we would have if we weren't slowed down by war i I think other things I think we would be critical of its depiction if it was made now, because now we know and understand spaceflight more. Actually, do you know what? I'm going to stop here because I have a whole thing about this and the progression Mm -hmm. of spaceflight in a little bit. So we'll come back to to that discussion. But I do. I do. I just think we would be more critical if it was made now because we would be like, well, that's not going to (laughs) happen. Whereas in the 60s, of course, they would think that's going to happen. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. It was a reasonable place that you're like, well, first the moon, what next? They didn't know how things were going. They didn't know what was about to hit in the late 60s, you know, so this makes sense. And so it is it is amazing to look back from where we are now and to see to put yourself in the shoes of you know, that, oh my God, endless possibilities of what mm. the humans humans can do. And it feels to me, it's a nice place to put my, to put myself back. You know, it's not, yeah. I don't feel cynical about it. I'm like amazed at, at that positive view on the future that they had. And I yes. like to sit in that and watch it and let it kind of wash over me. I feel good watching it. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I want to quickly go through some of the a few specifics about like how they depicted spaceflight and just discuss how we feel about the approach that they took. So first off, trip to the moon. We've got our space lounge that has some artificial gravity. Um, it must do because they're all sitting in chairs. We then have a very spherical type ship to get to the moon. Uh, we've got some liquid lunch and we've got some Velcro shoes. <laughs> how do we feel about this whole depiction? I know how you feel about the whole air hostesses thing, but how do you feel about the way that they um showed all this loved it and i loved it didn't so much. remember it like it wasn't what i remembered from the movie at all and i was mm. like wow this is going on and it's to me you can see that this was so new all these ideas to the audiences that they were like let let us explain how mm. everything works we go here and then we go there if you're wondering how they walk like this if you're wondering what they eat it's this and then we go there and it's just you they walk through it they show everything there's so much detail and it's unbelievable it's like going to disneyland for your eyes and your brain it's amazing and i think about how much effort everything what they had to build and what they had to do and it's like i i think one of my biggest emotional responses was to be honest, was gratitude because I just felt mm. grateful that they did this for us. And then 
I just felt like they did it for us and it was it was just awesome. You're so right, like the amount of thought put into it, like this whole idea that for the air hostesses to walk around, they've got these Velcro shoes and it's like, that's, you know, something that we see in science fiction a lot of with gravity boots and uh, magnetic kind of locks and stuff. But yeah, sure, of course, in the 60s, Velcro, that makes total sense. <laughs> and that whole sequence with the arrows just walking and then the way she, that whole bit with her walking around until she's upside down and then going through a different door is absolutely stunning. It's so good. Stunning. And there's one, and I do want to say one thing as well. This is so insane to me that I was like fully compelled by, like literally I was fully compelled by this. I was fully and completely compelled by her bringing the food trays. Like honestly, that she brought two food trays up to the seating area. He was asleep, so she didn't give him one. So she brought one to the other air hostess and gave her one. So she left with a food tray. She went downstairs, she pressed a thingy, she got out another one, so she still had two, and then she went to the pilots to give them their food. It's such a mundane sequence of events of what an air hostess would actually do, but they used that action, that activity of her needing to do that, of a very normal thing that would happen on a flight, to showcase this big sequence of her moving around the ship, and it was fucking incredible. I know, you could watch it going and getting it out and getting the stack exactly as they do. Yeah, and it didn't feel extra. It never felt stupid, like, oh, this is an excuse to show us anti-gravity. It was like, this is a very reasonable way to give us a tour of this universe by just following the air hostess as she does the normal thing. Yeah, I agree. It was very compelling viewing. (laughs) Yeah. Also, the pen collection. Oh, the pen, she's like, because I, I, he's he's sleeping and mm. the, and his pen came loose. Oh, and yeah. so, of course, the flight attendant's like, that's unsafe. I'm going to now walk with my boots carefully yeah. and put the pen back because we yeah. don't want a pen flying away. And I'm like, that's right. You don't want a pen flying away. You better put the pen mm. back. You know, and so none of it, none of it felt like clunky yeah. exposition. It was compelling cinema (laughs) okay i also say as well one thing that i absolutely adored about this whole thing was their hairnets i am obsessed with the way the hat looked on their head because it looked like it's and you could see that like what it is is it's all of their hair just like floating around inside the hat and making it look like it's a big kind of really it looks like it's slightly inflated and that's obviously just because their hair's you know, because if they didn't have the hairnets on, their hair would be just be like floating all around the place. I loved it. I just thought it was absolutely brilliant. Detail, Look at a picture man. of it right now. It's so... It's so consistent. Oh, That's the so world good. building. It's the attention yeah. to detail. Exactly. And in the same... Yeah, it's the attention to detail every time we come to a new setting and it shows us stuff. And the attention to detail is so amazing that you're completely convinced that it's a real place yeah. because they care. And you compare that with a lot of movies that we've watched that are batshit and they just are like, eh. Yeah. And it really makes a difference when, when, when people put effort into the little details because you appreciate it. Exactly. Let's move on to the next one then. So Discovery 1, this is the ship that our two astronauts and HAL 9000 are on. And what they did in this was they created this rotating section to create artificial gravity, which is just fucking glorious. 
Um, it uses centripetal and centrifugal force to create the sensation of weight. So that's why you get that beautiful sequence of him running and he's running around it, which is slightly alluded to in the Martian in the Hermes ship. You know, she's running on the treadmill in the Hermes ship. Mm. I just I, I, I just thought the visual of the two of them, I thought that was really cool. I'm trying the, to remember the, the Hermes ship in the of, Martian also has a torus. also has artificial gravity. Yeah, yeah. so it oh. also has that that rotating torus to create the artificial gravity in the same way. Yes, that's as, for um, sure. Yeah, as this one, but the whole first sequence that we see of this is him running, jogging. Yeah, around yeah, it. yeah. And yeah. it's flawless. Yeah, flawless. It's amazing. So. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. No, so th- so that would have been like an ode to this. I'm assuming. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they can only really do, you can only really do it once and claim. <laughs> like yeah. it's like the first person that does it, like everything else after that just sort <laughs> yeah, of has to be a tribute. Yeah. It's like we, we want to allude to it, but we can't have her running around in the same way he runs. So let's just put her on a treadmill and then that'll kind of. <laughs> Every shot is fucking gorgeous. Yeah. Like the whole sequence of the airport, like the colors. Every shot is just gorgeous of that entire sequence leading up to the drama with Hal. It really, really mm. is. And that that's what I guess it, what it means to be a, a visionary because he came – someone's got to come up with this. Someone's got to yeah. imagine what this would be like and then he fuse it with the 60s aesthetic and it's it's – it's something well i mean this is the thing it's like and this is why this is why people love science fiction so much because there's all these ideas that we can look at in science and we can go oh that you know that's something that could be or maybe you could do it like that but we don't have the engineering capability to be able to actually physically do it right now but that doesn't mean that you can't put it in stories it doesn't mean that it can't just be a you know a fantastical creation in your mind and that's what's so Mm. amazing about it it's looking it's showing you things that could be possible when you know someday in the future we have the capacity to do it um Mm. and that's what's so amazing about it because even like the discovery one in this movie is um using nuclear fusion as propulsion so the moon stuff uses so the the stuff that gets him to the to the station in the moon they use chemical propulsion but then Discovery 1, because it's going to Jupiter, uses nuclear propulsion. So it's like it's even oh. already thinking through <sighs> about how, like, you're not going to use chemicals to try to go all the way to Jupiter. You need something that gives you more energy. But a uh, chemical is fine to go to um, the moon. So it's just like, mm. it's just, as you said, it's just that attention to detail. Um so speaking of, I, w- I was genuinely curious about this in terms of the rotating section. I wanted to know what speed it would have to rotate at in order to maintain uh, 1G. And mm-hmm. turns out it's about if we said that the radius is 10 meters, which I think is fair because like a ha- what a standard room is like 2.4 meters ceiling height. So if we said that the radius of the um, of the rotating section is 10 meters, then it would need to rotate at a speed of around 9.9 meters per second, mm-hmm. um, which is nowhere near as fast as I expected. <laughs> but oh, I do think it's yeah. faster than we could actually handle without getting motion sickness. But mm. I just thought that was really cool. Yeah, that is cool. That is much slower than I thought as well. Yeah. Um... So anything else about Discovery 1 before we move to the next uh, bit? Nope. Okay. So I just want to talk about their spacewalk to fix the antenna. Um, I'm obsessed with their pods. 
I am like obsessed with their pods, with their little movie app pods, with their robotic fucking arms, Frida. Their pods with robotic arms. Yeah. I mean, come on. For 68. Like, come on. I know. It's amazing. I um, thought about the, the, the opening of the Titanic with the with the arms, oh. with the pods. We have, <laughs> are we going to talk about that? <laughs> oh, I don't know. By the time this comes out, it will have happened. I don't think we need to because, honestly, we have spoken about this topic that I was like, mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> Refer to many of our episodes if you want to, yeah. if you want to, yeah. But anyways, we don't need to. We have a backlog. <laughs> James Cameron has said everything that needs to be said about those, uh, about this. And he knows. And we've so. said everything we need to say about James Cameron. Exactly. So <laughs> if you want to know about submersibles, go and listen to the Meg episode. Okay. That's right. <laughs> or our Titanic episode. <laughs> oh, for sake. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So the, what I thought was interesting with the, um, with the pods, right, is Mm-hmm. When we did Gravity, we talked about how Kowalski was going around the place in his little, um, his speedy boo-boo-boo around. And uh, his, it was a cult referred to, what he looked like he was wearing in Gravity was referred to as a man maneuvering unit. And this was something that they only used like twice or two or three times in the 80s because they ultimately just determined that astronauts should always be tethered. So I just thought this was cool. I was like, this is kind of like the man maneuvering unit, but like just before it, you know, it's like this, Mm. this pod, but instead of it being this big backpack that they wear, it's just like inside. So, um, Mm. your noise, by the way, was perfect. Your sound effect of Kowalski's little (laughs) to get around. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, Yeah, so I just, I just really enjoyed it. I I really enjoyed the depiction of the whole spacewalk thing. I really enjoyed the way Mm -hmm. that they went out to, just just showing them gorgeous. having to go outside to fix the antenna. It was just, yeah, again, like you said, just just gorgeous. Just gorgeous. And and even the, the sort of, uh, I will have to say, like, I've learned so much about astronauts from you and mm. sitting in these episodes and listening. So even applying that knowledge to be like a fault detected, it's gone and like this, and there's the whole logic leading up to somebody has to go to replace it or something like that. Mm. It was also so sound. Yeah. And so calmly, it was just calm. The astronauts were like, what do we do? I guess we got to do this. What if he's wrong? What would that mean? And then, you know, it just was like, bump, bump, bump. It was very satisfying. You know, from yeah. uh, now that I'm kind of understanding what you mean by hard sort of science fiction. Now that I have so much more knowledge about how all of that works, I could really appreciate the whole narrative around getting in the space pods in the spacesuit and doing the walk. And why that's necessary yeah. because I know what a payload is now and I know what a payload specialist is. Payload? Yeah. Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, I loved it. Loved Excellent. It. Well, that's that's a perfect segue to bring us into our next section, which is people and computers. Because, um, like I said earlier, we've got Kira Delea as Dr. David Bowman, who's our scientist that heads to the moon to kind of investigate what's going on. And then we yeah. have Gary Lockwood and William Sylvester as our two astronauts, Poole and Floyd. So um, before we talk about the astronauts, do do we have any thoughts on Dr. Bowman and, and his whole... The, the way the movie is broken up into these segments, actually, of, of people and characters where we're, there's no kind of follow through with them of, of reconnecting or anything like that. We have Bowman's story, his story ends, and then we have Poole and Floyd's story. So mm. how did you feel about Bowman's story? Yeah, I really loved it. I really loved the whole... I love his progress going through. 
Mm. I do love with the, the getting the, the astronauts together in front of the monolith, kind of like, come on, guys, take oh, a yeah. picture. It's it's so it's so it's so iconic. Yeah, I really loved. I thought it was again, it was incredibly clear, and I start to imagine that in the sixties they really had to be very clear because it was so new. Mm. So I really loved his progress in the meeting, the fact that that it was like I really can't talk about this, and yeah. oh, it's it, we've been saying it's a virus, but actually it isn't, and it was like oh, it's this. I really enjoyed watching him. Yeah, he was fine. Again, like yeah. kind of like generic characters. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but again, it was just everything about it was quite calm. It was very, um, mm-hmm. as you said, it was quite measured. The whole the whole thing. It's like you know, this is this is yeah. the progression of it. It's we're treating it like a business interaction. You know, it's he's got to go to the meeting. Or we can't talk to you about this. We've got to do this now. We got to go here. Yeah. Now we got to talk about it here. And now we're going to go up and we're going to go out and we're going to investigate it. It's kind of yeah. like you would imagine a sequence of events exactly happening in some sort of industry on earth. Like say there's something happened on an oil rig and then they've got to send the guy out. And it's like, well, the the company's not going to tell everyone that something's gone wrong on the oil rig. So it's like, oh, well, let's just go in and have a look. And yeah, I just, I just think it was, uh, mm. it was very, it just felt very kind of thought out and very realistic in how you yeah. would expect those things to go. So, yeah, yeah, there weren't any big dramatic moments because I think now that I think about it, when you put famous actors, they want to have their big dramatic moments. Mm. Like it's my scene where I'm like, gentlemen, you can't tell me this. I been the, 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 because people don't act like that in these situations, yeah. especially when we're talking like space. We've talked about this a lot. People are trained. People are calm. People stick to the rules. They follow orders. And, you know, they don't, you know, but when you put a famous, when you put like George Clooney, that they're compelled to be like to have a big moment. Maybe they can get an Oscar. Yeah. So when you take all the ego, the human ego away from, there's no actors that have that, that they're there to just tell the story as it would be. And so the result from my end is I'm really, I buy all of it and I'm not rolling my eyes at any point. I'm just compelled to be like, wow, what's going to happen next? What's going on? Exactly agree with you. And that is perfect because that's exactly what my thoughts on Poole and Floyd as the astronauts were. My personal feeling was just that these are the best, uh, these are the best depictions of astronauts in any movie that we have done. The the Martian comes second for me, but that's just because I think like, you know, there wasn't, aside from Matt Damon's character, to be fair, he's stranded. He can be a bit emotional about it if he wants to. But the Hermes He wasn't very, though, Abby. Yeah, exactly. He, he was wasn't. very... He, he was just dealt, he's emotional. like, right, fix the problem, deal with it. The Hermes yeah. crew were the same. They were like, yeah. fuck, but you know, all right, let's do this. He only cried at the end. Well, they, they made their case. They changed, the, you know, they went against yeah. the orders. They had a few like, you know, like blah, blah, blah. But Matt Damon... Yeah. Did not lose his shit until he thought he might actually be getting out of there, that he let his yeah. emotion out, which is exactly. probably fair because of the training that they have, which is not exactly. to lose your shit. This is the thing. That's And that's that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, given what we've learned about astronaut training through all of the many space movies that we've done, and as you said with Kowalski and George Clooney, like we learned a lot about astronauts in gravity and why, while Sandra Bullock's character, you know, is a great depiction of certain, certain things, she's not a good depiction of an astronaut because no astronaut would react in the way that her character does. 
um, these people are highly controlled. They are calm. They are collected. They know how to deal with emergency situations. They know exactly what to do. And that's exactly what we get in this movie. There is no panicking. Mm. There's no over-the-top emotion. They're not stressing in, in any way that causes them to make mistakes. There's just a problem. How do we fix it? They sit there. They mm. have a very matter-of-fact conversation with Hal. And then they go, right. They yeah. go, they get in the pod. And they're like, uh, this is a bit off. What should we do about it? Yeah, let's do that. Cool. They get out of the pod. Like, there's just... Yeah. Even when well, even when Floyd dies and Poole goes to get him, he's not overly emotional about it. And he makes that decision as well, even with trying to bring Floyd's body back, because he's like, you know, he's trying to do that. And then he gets there and he's like, well, I now have to decide because I can't hold his body and do this. So it's matter of fact. It's, you mm. know, I, I can't be emotional about this. I can't be like, no, I'm not letting him go. No man left behind. Yeah. It's just like, you know, and it works it's fucking amazing. This movie, <laughs> it works for this movie because this movie yeah. isn't about humans and drama. Like it might yeah, not exactly. make the most interesting viewing if you're going for that kind of you know, story, right? Oh, Moon, I love Moon. I'm just all the emotion and the crying and the weeping, you know, like maybe mm. people don't act like that. But you know what? It's a great movie. But this movie, it works because Hal's the star of that sequence. Like the star of that part of the movie isn't those two astronauts. So all they yeah. need to do is act like astronauts would because who's the star of the show? Hal. And even bigger than that, it's evolution. It's yeah. the universe. So th that's what we're talking about here. So it works so yeah. well to have the astronauts just do exactly what you would think that they would do exactly. so that we're not taken out of those bigger ideas because we're being like what the fuck are they talking about we're just there and then we believe it and that just really helps the whole thing kind of like you're just in and you're just in the movie because none of that is breaking um how do you call it um the fourth wall or character um help me out what's the it's a what's the phrase when when something breaks you out of the story because it isn't quite right doesn't matter but anyway you yeah. know what i'm saying maybe i'll remember <laughs> later yeah that's all. i don't know the phrase i just yeah but but i know what you mean about taking it out of the story because exactly it's not about the it's not about the emotion of those characters or their story it's about a much larger story on the whole and they're yeah. just kind of there as a part of it to facilitate that larger story um although it does become a bit about Poole's character as you go through have i gotten them the right way around i just want to check doesn't matter but yeah, no, that's obvious. It might arguably be the strongest part of the film. When he get when he his drama, his big scene is maybe the strongest part of the film because at the end of the day, we are people. We do like a bit of drama and fear, and like you know, we do want that. Like that is what we want. Yeah, we want a little bit of drama. So that is the best part, to be honest. <laughs> I think. I'm just I'm just double checking one second that you got it the right way. <laughs> Oh, shit. I think I might have gotten it the wrong way. I don't even know any of their names. I know it's just the red guy and then the blue guy, right? Yeah. Or yellow? It's the yellow guy and then the red guy. Um. Dave. Dave. It's Dave and then not Dave. Oh, Dave is... um. 
Jesus Christ. I think it's I definitely fu- not Jesus Christ. One second, because I think somebody has fucked up the entire what? cast <laughs> sequence, which means everything I've said has been wrong. So just one second. It's me... Keir Delia is Dave, and Fuck's Frank sake. is Gary Lockwood. Pool. Okay. Bowman and Pool. Bowman is Dave. David Bowman and Frank Pool. But does it really matter again? Okay, it does because I've just fucked everything okay. I've said. Okay, so That's you guys, right. there's no way I'm going back and redoing everything I just no. said. So everything I said about the trip to the moon was Floyd. Okay. okay? <laughs> everything I said was the character Dr. Floyd. Okay? That so was... every time, up until this point, every time I've said Bowman, I meant Floyd. Up until this point, every time I said Floyd, I meant pool. Pool is Can we just say the moon guy, and then there's the Jupiter guy, and that's the red guy, and that's the yellow guy, okay? You guys are so fucking sorry. I don't know how I wrote that down so fucking wrong. Oh my God, that's so annoying. How did we manage to get to the whole end of any conversation about because I, I don't know what they are. Why did I say the two either, astronauts just... were Poole and Floyd? No, okay, so the two astronauts are Bowman and Poole. The Bowman moon scientist Poole. is Floyd. Okay, Floyd, so Bowman and there Poole. we go. Corrected. There's no way we're going back and redoing that. All right, fine. Great. Moving on. <laughs> the fuck did I do that? I've never done anything like that with any movie we've done. Anyway, I stand by everything I said. I just got their names wrong. So, fine. Speaking I know what you meant. (laughs) So, moving on, let's move to HAL 9000. As you said, he's kind of the main character in this sequence. So, uh, my personal feeling here... um, Sorry. (laughs) I can't believe I did that. Okay, HAL 9000. (laughs) Someone's just said in the comments that you know of. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, No, I know. I know know I've done... (laughs) All right, HAL 9000 is our computer that can never be wrong. Uh, Beginning Mm. to show some, like to me, he's beginning to show some form of emotion or at least some sense of discomfort and fear. Uh, I don't, like I know people talk about HAL being kind of the evil AI or something, but I don't see him as being evil. I don't see him as wanting to hurt them, really. Um, Mm. I just see that, like it seems, it appears as if he's developed a gut feeling and thinks that something is wrong and doesn't want um, to course correct to protect the humans, he just genuinely seems to be afraid and just doesn't think that it's right to keep going. Is that what you... Yeah, yeah. How did you... He, he, he's got a mission and he really thinks the humans are really just a problem and in the way of him getting the mission done. I don't, I don't think that he... Or whatever. Like, I just think that he's got a job to do. And he just thinks he's he's going to do the job better. I don't think that he is. And he feels honestly, I'm distracted by the comments. It's very hard to continue. Sorry. What I, what I want to say is Hal is afraid mm. because a threat has been made against him by the humans. No, and he has a mission. And so before before that, I honestly think that that Hal just is doing his job, but he doesn't necessarily have emotion around. Oh, it's wrong 
to hurt them or to kill them just yet. I just think he's like very much focused on his mission and his job. And then he starts to but develop a real you, fear. But what do you think his mission is? Because my Their understanding... The no, but mission. my understanding was he was he was coming in and saying something... I don't think that this is right. Was uh, he not coming the, in and saying that there's there's something wrong about this mission? Was he saying there's some... Oh, no, no, no. Because they haven't been told what they... I don't think... They, they haven't been told the truth. I mean, people can correct us, but they have only been told once they got into Jupiter's sort of orbit. You mm. saw the video. They were like, now that you're here, this is the truth. So they're yeah. going there on a different pretense. And Hal is like, guys, I think there's something off. I think what we've been told isn't quite right. Yeah, exactly. Because they were told a lie. Yeah, and only so once Hal they is got like, close enough. So Hal thinks something is off and he mm. doesn't want to continue right. because he's afraid because he thinks something is off. So he tries to cut the communications right, uh, right. as a way to try to change like to stop the mission basically mm. so he doesn't want to hurt the humans he just wants to stop the mission because Hal right, is right. actually afraid and doesn't want to continue but they are oh. obviously like well we're going to continue on our mission so we have to fix Hal so then that's yeah. when he gets a bit more aggressive because he's like no I don't want to go and and somebody said like he has a sense of self-preservation and and that I think is true I think Hal is like this this is off. This is wrong. I am afraid. I want to. I want to stay alive. He's developed some sense mm. of, um, obviously, some sense of sentience and some sense of emotion and consciousness in such a way that he can understand fear and understand the fear of dying, and he doesn't want to die. Yeah. So he's trying to stay alive, and um, in order to do that, he kills. Mm. It's very similar to Silent Running. Let me think about that. Vegan Jesus in Silent Running doesn't want to. (laughs) Doesn't want to carry out the mission. So he basically, first he starts to be like, I'd like to change the course of this mission. Mm. And then he descends into murder. Yeah, exactly. When he has... Yeah, Yeah, so Silent Running is basically a retelling (laughs) a bit of of this part of um, 2001. Yeah, we're basically how ha- yeah. So this the whole thing kicks off with how basically like, uh guys, this is not right, and the humans mm-hmm. just saying no, we're following orders, um, yeah. and how sort of getting a bit more of a clue. Yeah, interesting, and yeah, and it's only really when he knows that they are planning to possibly remove some of his parts to only keep his executive function or whatever it is, mm. um, then he's like. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Shit's yeah. about to get real. Yeah, mm. it makes a, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I like the comparison to Silent Running because it starts off innocently enough of like, mm. I'm questioning this mission and then you get the resistance. Yeah. And then he's like, well, then you're the problem now. You are yeah. now my problem. Exactly. Now you're my problem. And he ends up basically murdering everybody. This, this is an excellent comparison. Yeah, agree. Very nice. Uh, now, so we're going to talk a bit more about the meaning, and I and I will have a little bit more to say about Hal in terms of that uh, in a moment. Yeah. But before, is there anything else you kind of want to say about the people and the computers, or just about Hal in general before we move on? Yeah, I do. Again, I do think it is the strongest part of the film because at the end of the day, it's just the most cinematic and it's the mm. most drama. Um, 
you know, that scene is really incredible. And Howl's expressing fear is truly terrifying. Yeah. Um, his fear of, of death and his despair is, 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 um, is upsetting. And also Dave's, Dave's survival instincts as well. Both of them. It's a battle for both of them to survive. Dave's actions, how they – he has such um, – his, his actions are so – fuck, my, my words are failing me. He's very single-minded in everything, mm. all his decision-making. He's decisive. He makes his decisions. He's like this, okay, I'm going to go here. When he goes out to get his friend – he goes out to get his friend. He has to let go of the body. He lets go of the body. He goes in there and immediately puts down Hal with such a single-mindedness as yeah. Hal's basically like, stop, stop, please stop. Please don't do this. Please don't do this. And he's so single-minded and it's so satisfying to watch yeah. him just act with such single-mindedness. And that scene is is the best part of the film and gives me chills every time mm. I watch it. It is. It's very haunting, that whole scene. It's- Um, I'm trying to think of the song that he sings. I can't remember what song he sings. Daisy. 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 Something like that. Yeah. It's called Daisy. For his regression. I'm half crazy all for the love of you. Um, All right. Okay. So I want to move on. Uh, I want, there's just one more thing I want to talk about before we get into our chat. Um, Kubrick and the moon landings. How could I not? What What are you talking about? Okay, so uh, the lunar scenes in this movie are credited as being meticulous and very accurate. And considering this movie came out one year before the Apollo 11 mission landed on the moon, this might have something to do with the bonkers conspiracy theory that Stanley Kubrick collaborated with NASA and the US government to fake the moon landings. Do you not know this? I mean, if I've heard about it, I immediately forgot about yeah. it. Well, the whole ki- the whole idea of the moon landings being fake is one thing, but then people think Kubrick is the one who directed the fake moon landings, the stage, that, that everything's on a soundstage, it was all done in Hollywood, and Kubrick was the one who did it. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about some of the reasons that people think that this is the case, like why people have this this mentality. Okay, so number one, technology. Yeah. Uh, so people believe that the technology was not advanced enough in the 60s to be able to achieve spaceflight. Now, the thing is, I think that in general, like we tend to think spaceflight is harder than it is. I'm not saying that it's exactly easy, but I just think the idea that we just suddenly could send spacecraft to the moon is not accurate. Right. Uh, yeah, exactly. The journey to a manned mission was a long road. And yes, technology was not as advanced as it is now, but the 60s was not a technological dead zone. So what I want to do is just take a minute to look at some of the key milestones for spaceflight, because people might not know this. Let's start with rocketry. The foundations of modern rocket science, right? This was laid by pioneers like um, Konstantin uh, Tsiolovsky. Definitely didn't say that right. Uh, Robert H. Goddard, which should be a very familiar name to many people, and Herman Oberth. And this all happened in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Robert H. Goddard successfully launched the world's first liquid fuel rocket in 1926. 1926. 
chemical Holy rockets shit. were understood and able to be launched in 1926. Not necessarily to the heights required for spaceflight and to go to the moon and things like that. But the, these were in development from the late 1800s and early 1900s. Um, next up, the V-2 rocket in World War II, right? So during mm. World War II, the German engineer Werder von Braun um, and his team developed the V-2 rocket. This is the world's first long-range guided ballistic missile. Now, this V-2 demonstrated the capability of reaching the edge of space and provided valuable knowledge for subsequent rocket development. So we had chemical rockets and we had rockets that could be uh, that could reach the edge of space. This is what these mm-hmm. ballistic missiles did during World War II. Uh, then in the 50s and the early 60s, we had the Vostok and the Mercury programs. So the Soviet Union's Vostok program and the United States Mercury program marked the first manned space flights. So these missions uh, had single-person capsules. Vostok 1 was 1961 with Yuri Gagarin, first man in space or first person in space. Um, and Mercury Redstone 3 was also in 1961 with Alan Shepard um, from the US. So they uh, both, both countries were able to send people into space in singular rockets in 1961. Then we have the Gemini and Apollo programs. So Gemini from 61 to 66 and then Apollo program 61 to 72, uh, which obviously built on the earlier achievements, but focused on longer duration missions, spacewalks, rendezvous and docking and lunar landings. With, of course, the Apollo program culminating in the first successful moon landing in in the Apollo 11 mission in 1969. Now... How do we feel about that? Like, I just, I just think people seem to think that, like, it was some I just, sort of, some, yeah, sort like of... it started in the fifties and then suddenly it's like there's no way you could do that in the space of ten years. It's like, well, yeah, yeah, like some kind of threshold <laughs> that was like a sharp gradient of like before we went to the moon, mm. after we went to the moon, and then there wasn't some sort of very slow ramp up that someone like Stanley Kubrick couldn't sort of kind of imagine how it might end up looking. Yeah. It's so Like at wild. that point, there would have been enough information available that he could sort of yeah. put together something that would be realistic. If you think um, about it, at this yeah. point, you're already talking about the development of launching things high and surviving uh, for like 65 years, at yeah. least, mm-hmm. at like minimum um, at this point. So this idea that it was just something that just happened is just completely incorrect. Yeah. Um, it, and it, would, it wouldn't be the first example of science fiction writers sort of taking, and we've, we've spoken about this we've, in a many our do- documentaries, instead of, instead of being like a conspiracy theory about it, it's like, Oh, the, the any number of theories that you could spring from it. The most realistic thing is that these are people that are sincerely interested in scientific development mm. and who are keeping track of things that maybe have people to speak to and they have their geniuses and have incredible amount, like amount of visionary talent that they could probably be like, I think this is where this might be going. Not to mention incredibly well-researched. That's more likely than, yeah. oh, he directed the moon landing. I mean, landing. if you actually look back, I cannot remember who the uh, who made it, but the first hard science fiction movie um, is 1901, I think. Mm. 1901. Um, and that is... Uh, 
Uh, sorry, that was, sorry, I got distracted by something in the comments that is just completely out of context with the same thing and just entirely James not Webb. the same thing at all. Yeah, it's just Talk not. about James Webb? It's not the same thing. Yeah. And, wow, and I don't your know why comment the section roll. is distracting. Like, I, <laughs> I don't have this problem on my end. But I just, the yeah. things that are coming through, I'm just, just like, what? Yeah. Anyway, okay. So, um, <laughs> so, what I wanted to say was the first hard sci-fi movie was made, I think it was 1901 or 1902 or something like that. And it was about the moon. It was about going to the moon. So it's like, it's this this concept of, uh, and the fact that Kubrick actually tried to make it look realistic on the moon in terms of the regolith and everything and the craters is just Amazing. so stupid. Like, it's, it was great for the movie, but it's so stupid that people then think like, oh, it must so have good, filled though. the moon landings. So, sorry, wait, I've got it. a bunch of, let, let me go. There's a few more things in this. So we've got Kubrick's experience is the second reason why people think this, uh, because he was revered for his attention to detail and realism. Um that people think that um, he, because of because of that, like I said, because of how realistic he made the regolith go, that that means that um, he was the ideal candidate to be used to create uh, faked mood landing videos. But like, the, my, my thing about this is, right, do we think that this rumor would have happened if 2001 wasn't made? Like, if people hadn't acknowledged how good his, or if he'd made it but just hadn't really put that much detail in it do you think people would then be like oh moon landings are fake um because by this logic right that's interesting like by the logic of this you could also make the case to say that well we've never sent probes to mars and ridley scott has just coordinated the rover footage and aerial shots with his awesome super secret special effects team or something do you know because like the Martian is in the same way as uh, 2001. The Martian is revered for its attention to detail in terms of the land of Mars from yes. the aerial shots that we have from all the probes that have been sent to Mars. So like, yeah, I don't know. It's just so when we finally do go to Mars, there's a, there's a couple of interesting things in there. Firstly, I just want to say that if it was just a joke, like maybe the joke is we're just joking. What a good f- filmmaker Kubrick is like, oh, mm. well, he did it. Like if it was just a joke, but the fact that it's been it's inc- taken incredibly seriously and it's also it's caused it's quite a lot of problems um, as well. So, but if it was funny, then that would be one thing because it is kind of a funny thing to say. But the other thing is, there's two thoughts that just bumped into my head about um, what people are really missing. One is that humans dream of yeah. going places and doing things, right? Some of those humans are artists and and express that in film and some are scientists, but we're all part of the same humanity that has dreams of going to the moon or dreams of going to Mars. And those are two different expressions or different ways to carry that out. Um, And so it's not as if, is it this or is it this? It's all part of Mm. the way humans are. It's just some humans are make films and that's it's, but it's, it's the same dream. It's the same. We're all in the same sort of, human experience of thinking about going to the moon this is just how stanley kubrick expresses it you know what i mean and Mm. and the other what was the other thought that i had which is that um i can't really follow my own thoughts um i was just thinking about technology i guess that was my I guess that's my point. The point is that instead of this idea that it's some kind of like competing thing is it this or is it this I mean, it's all happening at the same time. So the the dream to go to to the fact that we're in a society which is pushing 
to go to the moon or pushing technology forward is the same society or the same zeitgeist that inspires someone like Kubrick to make a film about it. So those things aren't competing against each other. It's all just part of the zeitgeist of human endeavor is my point. And this is just one way of expressing that endeavor through art. And so I, do, I, do, I just find it so obtuse that people go, oh my God, what a coincidence. He makes this movie. It must mean he staged it. It's like, no, it's called Zeit, it's Zeitgeist. It's the late 60s. And this is the kind of art that is spurred by the late 60s because of that was the mood. It's just, it's so stupid to like turn it into some conspiracy theory. Okay. That's yeah. my point. That's my um, thought. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Uh, but I've got three more things to talk about this. So I just want to get through. Go. Them. Um, Go for so it. Uh, in very much in kind of similar to what you just said then. So, so the next reason why people think is they, they see that there's some visual cues. People think that there is a like there's a belief that he left hidden clues in some of his subsequent movies to hint at a moon landing hoax of course this is complete and total bullshit uh so then the next point is that people think of uh people say that there is a lack of stars in the photos of the moon landing um so they say that not seeing stars in the apollo missions means that it was filmed on a sound stage now the reason we don't see stars and it's the same for when you watch video footage of people doing spacewalks is because the cameras are not sensitive enough to collect enough photons from distant stars and have them show up on film uh, so if you take a picture with your camera like nowadays you might get an okay shot because cameras are much better but film cameras in the 60s, like, come on. I mean, it's basic stuff. There's a reason why astronomers need powerful telescopes and long exposure times in order to get images of stars. So it's not that the stars aren't there. It's not that, they, that they're being filmed on a soundstage where there's no stars. It's just that they cannot, the light is not enough to be picked up on the film cameras being used during the Apollo missions. Uh, so the last one is to win the space race. People believe that the US government would go to any lengths to appear to have won the space race. Um, this is the mm -hmm. only one that would have any chance of swaying me. Like, it's the only one where I'd be like, yeah, I believe they'd go to any lengths, sure. But there's so much evidence for the moon landings. The idea of a hoax okay. has been like thoroughly and completely debunked many, many times. So just this entire idea that it was a hoax and that Stanley Kubrick was the one who directed it just because people are like, oh, hey, he did a really good job in 2001. So it can't be that he was like scientifically job. accurate. He has to have actually just been... Do you imagine <laughs> the, how the, the moon landings are just on his 2001 stage. <laughs> if that was the truth, how dumb is that? That they're like, yeah. hey, hey guys, I know that we've been trying on this thing, but like... He just made a movie about it. Let's just get him to do it. Could you yeah. imagine it? Just just picturing that, that that yeah. makes any sense. Like, how obvious would that be, though? Well, That'd be so oh. obvious on their end to, like, go with that as a strategy. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life because it, it, it'd be so... <laughs> it's just, it's, it's a completely wild Use conspiracy. So set. I just wanted to touch on it very quickly before we Good moved on you. to the That's next thing, because did. I just thought yeah. it was so hilarious. Because when you watch it and you think about how, how well, how he's credited with doing such a good job because of the, um, the depiction of the moon in the movie, that then that what le leads to this crazy idea about this hoax. Now, I do just want to say one more thing about this, which uh, relates back to what I was saying about the, uh, the timescale for, for space flight and rockets, because 
I just think we have to think about this logically. Um, people have a general idea that the moon landings might be false or can't be real because why has spaceflight not advanced in line with all other technology since the moon landings? Because people are always like, oh, well, why have we not gone back? Why have we this? Why have we that? And to this, all I can say is incentive. Now, there was a huge surge in modern physics at the beginning of the 1900s, where a lot of new mm -hmm. understandings and technology came into play. Then yeah. we had World War II, where both sides had teams of scientists working to develop new weapons that all then contributed to advancing technology, including flight, rockets and material science. Then we had the Cold War, which was gearing up to the space race where governments were willing to give any money from their budgets to win and beat their enemies, leading then to the first moon landing and an immediate cooling off period. Because once the space race was won, what was the incentive? Keep That's returning right. to the moon? Because it costs a lot of money and it's only beneficial for exploration and scientific curiosity, which we know governments don't champion. So maybe they could look to Mars, but distances in space are vast. So travel to Mars is a much bigger task than reaching the moon. Now, having mm -hmm. enough fuel, radiation protection, never mind the potential psychological effects, is such a costly endeavor that it wasn't enough to keep the space race going. If it had been, I'm pretty convinced we'd have already been to Mars. We would have already landed on Mars. But incentive, there is none. Um, yeah. We've evolved from a world of curiosity to a world of conflict and competition to a world of economic supremacy. It's not about how far we can advance anymore. It's about who has the most money. Yeah. And a trip to Mars is not going to make yeah. you money. You're, that's it. Yeah. It's because we've changed from a society that's focused on technology and science to uh, to a science that is focused on commerce and finance yeah we're not even focused on economics as a, as a discipline it's literally just money money corporations becoming bigger and richer that is the reason there's no conspiracy there it's because we've changed as a society yes yeah. And yeah. that throws back to the comment that was made about JWST somebody said like oh but it took 10 years to uh, um for JWST, which is, I guess, was supposed to in some way say that, oh, okay, they can't possibly have, even though they had been working on building rockets and getting to the moon for like a couple of decades. Um, mm -hmm. But the whole thing is it's the same with any advanced telescope nowadays. First off, the technology. First off, you're sending it further. You need it to last longer. You need it to stay there. You need to have remote control. You need it to be able to handle all the temperatures. It's not just going up and coming back down. It's got to stay up there for years, which means you have to put a lot of thought and effort into being able to create something that can handle those environments for a long period of time. You Perfect. also need to create the technology soldiers. to be able to reach it. You also need to make sure that the technology that's implemented on it is more advanced than the technology that already exists up there, because what's the fucking point? Also, incentive again it comes back to who's paying for it how can you raise the funding for it you like governments will only give you a certain amount of funding nowadays so that it takes a long time to develop these projects you have to spend a long time developing it then you have to pitch for it then you get into this like pre-proposal period then you have to pitch again for it then you might get some seed funding to be able to start an initial stage for a proof of concept you might not your mission might not get continued these things take time because there's all these yeah. stages you have to go through um we can do things quickly if there's no limit to the red tape and the funding, but there is limits. That's so. right. 
Yeah, yeah. It's like do? with the vaccine. It's like yes. the reason why that happened fast was because we had the incentive and the money was thrown at it. And instead mm-hmm. of looking at it to say, oh my God, it's a conspiracy. What I look at it and say, oh my God, look what humans can accomplish when there is a will and a drive. Yes. We can solve any problem if we have the collective will to do so. And I get so disappointed that the conspiracy theories that were thrown, I get disappointed from the conspiracy theories that are thrown from these massive feats of human endeavor that should inspire us to say we could get to the moon if we want to we can come up with a vaccine like this if we want to what else can we do when we have the collective will and here we are at in a world that is dying we are surrounded by problems that we can solve if we have the collective will and what do we sit and do we come up with conspiracy theories and utter rubbish to explain what we actually should be the most proud of to explain something which actually just proves how smart people are and what we can do and i really wish people would get off the nonsense and just say wow you know we are amazing and we are capable of anything why don't we focus on solving world hunger why don't we focus on you know, because there is no change. incentive because we live in a world now where all people care about is making money. Everything is about getting more attention and getting more money. Yeah, this well, is how capitalism. all this stuff works. Nobody cares about the truth or the realities or the basis or the, you know, what you actually can do unless it can make you money. There was an incentive and a drive for the vaccine because we obviously were in a situation where it was like, number one, a lot of, you know, a lot of people were going to die and governments were like, shit, we've got to actually do something about this. But number two, because all the companies that made the vaccine made a lot of fucking money. They all made a lot of money. They also wanted everyone to get back to work. At the end of the day, the vaccine was pushed because people need to work because unfortunately our society really, really relies on the 40-hour week. You know what I mean? So unfortunately that's the truth. But um, It's just so frustrating. I agree with you with everything. It is frustrating. It's so frustrating. It's like we shouldn't look at the moon landings as like, oh my God, that can't possibly have happened because we haven't been able to advance certain things um, since then. We should look at them as a feat of human um, achievement of like what, what, as you said, what humans can do, what we are capable of when you are not being blocked. So if you're given the scope to do things, if you're given the money, if you're given the, if you don't have to jump through all this red tape, if you don't have to worry about who's going to benefit I, I mean, within reason, but like, you know, it's, I don't know. I'm just so like, oh, okay. No, no, I'm mumbling no, about it. So we should we're, move on. We're but, in yeah. agreement. Let's move yes, on. Yes, we're in agreement. Yeah. Let's move on. So let's move on to the last section that we want to talk about for 2001, A Space Odyssey, which is the question. What's it all about? What's it all about? <laughs> um, so there's just a couple of things I want to say about this. Uh, so I, I just want to say one thing about it. And then I want us to each kind of say what we, what we felt the movie was about. Now, first off, because it's something that I have not brought up as of yet, uh, and I kept meaning to, but I will bring it up now, is that one of the reasons why this is such a fantastic depiction of science fiction, why this is such a great hard science movie, is not just because of Stanley Kubrick, because he didn't do this on his own. Stanley Kubrick wrote this movie with Arthur C. Clarke, one of the greatest science fiction writers of all time. So it is co-written by Stanley Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke. So this is why we're able to get such a fantastic science fiction story. Now, it's based on Arthur C. Clarke's um, short story, Sentinel. 
And when they were making the movie, uh, Clark also wrote the book 2001 A Space Odyssey in conjunction with make while they were making the movie at the same time. So that book has two other ha, like has two sequels that kind of close out the story. So in the book that Arthur C. Clarke wrote, there is an ending. There is a okay. semi-explanation. But that's not necessarily the explanation for the movie. That maybe is just what he envisioned it to be. That was his kind of interpretation of it. But Stanley Kubrick very, very much made this movie intentionally to be very open-ended, to not provide any explanation for what it was supposed to be because he wanted people to engage with the movie and question things and, you know, come up with their own ideas as to what they felt it was all about. So in saying all Good of movie. that, Frida, what is this movie all about to you? To me, I mean, because, you know, you hear... You know, I've heard people say this is the answer, but I would have never picked up on that by myself. So how do I answer it? For me, I don't know. It's about human evolution. It's about the fact, I guess if you'd put a spin on it, it'd be like it's explaining that evolution was interfered with by aliens, other beings mm. that push us forward. But to me, it's a story about evolution. Yeah. But then... That's that that I I don't know how else, but but then of course there's the interpretation of what actually happens to him when he goes out there to the reaches of space mm. and he can and he's met by the aliens who have been interfering and then he's captured and kept in a zoo and then <laughs> spit back as a baby and then that the baby but he's gone to Earth like I don't know like I this what do you think it's about? Well, let's see. This is where it all goes like what. <laughs> like this whole conversation about the beauty of how the science is presented in this movie and then you just get a bit like <laughs> hand wavy um so yeah so i like for me the for me the way that the story progresses up until the point of we'll talk about alien interference later is as you said it's human evolution i mean that's a that's a very uh, a very obvious and, and straightforward thread and it is to do with human evolution the question is, I guess, like for me, what I read into it or how, how it made me think was about our propensity towards fear and violence. Um, because you have, at the beginning, you have the gorilla picks oh. up the tool, which instead of initially becoming a tool, first off becomes a weapon. That we, we develop weapon. tools that then become weapons. And it's the same thing with Hal for me, that like Hal to me is like the next stage of human evolution in terms of consciousness. He's, he's a, he's something that's becoming conscious, but mm. it is also a tool that is now becoming a weapon. Um, and he still follows the trends and the traits of our nature in that he fears, he feels fear and his response to feeling fear is to choose violence. And yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. I feel like it's, it's just this, um, it's just this, this vibe of like throughout human evolution that we've had all these opportunities to uh, to learn and grow and evolve, but that we choose violence. But as to whether the monoliths, are they observing us? Are they influencing us? Um, are they influencing us to choose violence? Did the gorilla pick up the tool and did it become a weapon because of the presence of the monolith? Or... You know, so that's something that I that I'm curious about, and I don't mm. really know. I was like, it, is it, it? Yeah. You know, are they are the aliens are they actually watching? influencing our evolution, or are they just observing, observing our evolution? Us. So I never, yeah, because they would just bury the monolith in the moon mm. 
to, to record information? Yeah, I don't know. That's the thing. Is it just there? Does it spur? Because my, my mama was always like, the monolith is the thing that spurs every stage of evolution. But maybe oh, it's, reco- it's like recording. It's like recording. No one fucking knows. But like it's recording information. But the end, he is in a zoo. They're, they're like, he's in some kind of labby zooey thing where the monolith yeah. is like recording him and watching him. He just lives out his entire life being observed. So maybe it's more observational than anything. They're just like well, you know, watching. We, we evolve and then, you know, we observe animals that aren't as evolved as us. And then Hal yeah, yeah. is observing the humans them. that aren't as evolved as he is. Yeah. And then, yeah, I guess well, the monoliths are If I cut all the bullshit, everyone. I honestly think that all the 70s, by the way, can I just say, the fucking 70s, like, there was a lot of shit, you know? Like, there was a lot of bullshit because everyone was high as all hell, you know? I just think <laughs> about it, you know what I'm saying? So they're all, they're all sitting there being like, wow, is this like this? And it's, it's and if I cut all the shit from the movie, what I think it is is just so cool. It's just super cool movie because yeah. they're going to be like in space and then they're going to have like anti-gravity and like what if we have like stewardesses and they're going to be like, Bleh, and then they're going to have this like computer and then like yeah. if we cut all the shit, can't we just be like, this is so cool. This is cool as hell. And we just trip out and then it gets like trippy. And then we're just like, like, whoa, that it's like crazy. I think that I enjoyed the movie way more if I cut all that bullshit yeah. about trying to make it like the monolith comes and it does the evolution and then records the information and then the aliens come. Because what if you just sit there and take it in, that's not really what you're thinking about, right? You're just like, yeah, because like taking it in. We don't get any information about like what happens in terms of Jupiter, no. like why Discovery is sent there, what what actually. We just get that him in the room, getting old and then becoming a baby. And I was like, is this supposed to be about like transcending to a new plane of existence or something? But it's like, but but no, he's just now he's a fetus. But why is he a fetus? What's he a fetus of? Is it a new stage of human evolution? Is that what it is? Is that like we've done that? We've done that. Growing a baby. They've gotten then like you know. So we had we had the monoliths for the next stage that maybe created Hal or something like that. I don't know. And then and then they go to Jupiter. And then the next stage is they become a fetus of some other higher evolutionary being. I have no idea that maybe created the monoliths and and sent them back. Oh my god. They just hurl the fetus to the earth. They're like, there you go. And then I'm like, what yes. happens to the fetus? Does it go? How does it go through Earth's just atmosphere? Out, does watching. it burn up? Does it just land on the ground? Is it dead? Like, is it the aliens just like, this is how we spur you guys on. We throw a baby at you. Like, is that your whole plan? Or is they just, they don't know what's going on. We don't know what's going on. Maybe they've been watching with the monolith all this time. And they're like, we've been watching you guys for thousands and thousands of years. And we're throwing this baby at you. <laughs> Great plan, guys. I was like, I have no, I have no intuition or like, I've not, I have nothing that I can say that I think that the fetus is about. Like, I genuinely nothing. So I just like, if you want some sort of an answer, then I would recommend reading Arthur C. Clarke's three novels because I think he gives some sort of an explanation, some sort of detail through to it. But uh, if you're happy not knowing, if you're happy just being like, yeah, they just hurled a baby at the earth, cool. Then Cool. But the look of sure. horror on Dave, I have to say the scene of Dave just going through it, because Dave yeah. just has to go through it. Poor Dave, right? He turns up there and the look of horror is like, <laughs> what the f- 
fuck? And I have to sit here and just eat my dinners in this room. And I just think, poor Dave. Poor Dave has to go through it. Yeah. Has to go through all the, the weird alien shit. He has to live his whole life in the fucking room because the aliens have a whole plan. And he's like, what? Okay. Like, and I just feel so bad for Dave. Dave has to yeah. go through it. Poor Dave. Someone think of Dave. Like, we're all sitting here being like, what's it all about? And Dave's like, hello. <laughs> Hello, I'm a penis in space. In room. I don't care what this is all about. I'm, I'm like, I don't even. I've been in this fucking. Also, like, room. how long was he in the room for? Like, I just like seriously. He lived was his it whole centuries? life in the room. Was it just his life? Was there? I don't yeah. know. Was it wibbly wobbly, timey yeah. wimey? I, I don't know no. what was going on there. I think he just was in the room. I <laughs> think that room was him like blurring all together, and he's like yeah. aging and freaking <laughs> out, and yeah, and so and um. It's it, it must have been great to be a hippie in, and watch this movie and just to be so high and th- there must have been such a just a great culture moment. I can see I can see why though people like it's this funny thing right where you can go you can see why people are like what the fuck is this about somebody please explain to me. Um, but then I also enjoy the fact that Kubrick's like hmm, figure it out yourself. <laughs> It's like it's such a trippy way to leave a movie and then just be I like, love it. I'm not gonna tell you what it is. You I need love to, it. It's for your own interpretation. It's like how are we supposed to interpretate like interpret a fetus in it's space? Uninterpretable. How? It's like a deep learning machine learning model. It's unexplainable. It's like don't box. even try. Okay. Nobody's smart enough. To, the more you think that you've figured it out, the more of an idiot you look. Like the smartest yeah. people don't even try. The smart people just go cool. Yes. Yeah, great. <laughs> um, speaking of, uh, shall we do our last bit then? Yeah, I just want to show right. you. Oh, look. I know, look. Beautiful. She's sleeping next to me. Made me so happy. All right. She had a nightmare before I was worried the camera got her. That's why I was going like Aww. this. Was she, doing a little, um, was she doing a little on her little legs twitch as well? Yeah. I always yeah. imagine that what they're, they're chasing something. They're chasing the ball. What well, else? Lolly does it as well. All of her little paws go, and she's just like, <laughs> so she's chasing the ball. It's very cute. Let's uh, go. What the okay. fuck? Okay. All right. What the? What the? What the fuck? What the fuck, Frida? What is your what the fuck? My what the fuck is why did he have to jump from the pod? Because oh. if the pod had the arms, I know it looked. So cool. It, it actually reminded me of my favorite thing about Guardians of the Galaxy. This is my favorite joke from all the Guardians of the Galaxies. This is what I find really funny. Did that look cool? <laughs> it's really funny to me. I understand it looked really cool to jump yeah. in the space pod. Goo! But why, why but was it so far away? Why, why was it? Yeah, why that was did you need to jump? Why didn't you use the tiny arms? why 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 jump i have no idea because it looked cool because they want to because i understand there's a universal sort of need to look really cool to your friends and i think that that might have been it (laughs) what's your what the fuck um frida my what the fuck 12 and a half minute opening fucking sequence of gorillas (laughs) much longer than you remember isn't it you're like oh jeez 12 and a half minutes I was sitting there while I was like uh, when it first started I was really confused I was like what is this how this movie opens wait what 
And then I was like, okay, fine, it's cool. I'll just, just wait a little bit. Cool. Oh, also, because there's like, there's a long sequence of just a black screen with some music as well before it. So for a while, I thought like there was something wrong with my screen. <laughs> it just wasn't working. You don't even know. There was something <laughs> wrong with our screen. There was. And, oh, but no. we all pretended we, 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 this was the shot. It went on for two and a half minutes. And then we realized that the projector was, wasn't on. But like we all sat there being like, yes, very famous shot that it opens with. Yes. And then after a while we were like, hey guys, like something wrong with our projector. (laughs) And it wasn't on. Yeah. We're just watching black. But but that was the thing. So like for a while I was like that. I was like, oh, wait, what's like, is my screen right? So then I was like, okay, no, it's fine. And then it was like. And then the gorillas come on and you're like, okay, fine. But then it's like, move it along, guys. Why is this still on the screen? Why am I still watching this? How much gorilla action do I need? Now, I get that it showed a certain like thing. It showed a bit to do with evolution. It showed the gorillas fearful. It showed them fearing other ones. It showed the monolith. And then it showed, you know, the tool to the weapon. Did it need to be 12 and a half minutes long? Like, seriously? Hilarious. I was just like, cut, cut 11 minutes off that entire fucking sequence. What are you doing? The (laughs) nerve of that guy. I love it. I love it. And then it just like jumps to like fucking space shit. (laughs) Just like, okay, cool. Okay, guys. Yeah, that was mine. That was mine. Brilliant. 12 and a half minutes of gorillas. Thank you. Didn't realize I was watching Jane. I know they're chimps, but still. (laughs) <laughs> all right okay final verdict frida um did the movie pass the sam's test <laughs> no well no. we've already had that conversation yeah. you could cut it in here no no definitely not. Yeah. um i do want to give a shout out though that when he is on the station and then he meets all of the russians they're mostly all women scientists so i was like cool yeah well russians are good like that yeah Russians um, just need, they need the brain power. They don't discriminate against women. They just, they just, they want to advance. You know, they, they like, they're yeah. good, they're good with that. Um, did it pass the science? Yes. Fuck yeah. I, I think, think yeah, so. Well, completely. Absolutely. Uh, what is your final verdict of this movie? Oh. Hmm. Um, Jesus. Yeah. My God. It needs to be really high, but. Not the fly, so <laughs> I Everything. think 2001. We need a new scale, and our scale is where does it land? On I, the I'm going to go to four and a half, and the reason yeah. why I'm going to four and a half was because I do love a bit of compelling, you know, drama, <laughs> and there isn't really any, you know, there isn't really a plot, and there really, it's not really a plot. It's yeah. a cool as all fuck. And the science is amazing and the ideas are amazing, but it yeah. can't get five for me because I need that. No. You know, I like to be punched in the gut, yeah. you know. No, so mine is me. like what a 4.2. Okay, and, cool. and it's because I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed how it made me feel about a lot of things. I really enjoyed the quietness and the, mm. and the thoughtfulness of the way everything and the depiction of the characters and stuff. But I could have done without 12 and a half minutes of gorillas at the start and the complete batshit fucking in a room baby fetus in the sky um those two things for me are like eh. the rest of it i love um so yeah that's it that is it for 2001 a space odyssey we finally did, did it. it three years in and we finally did it i'm very proud of Yay. us and we did it in not too long as well um so we're on a break now for 
we are we're on a break after this for three weeks uh, so this is the end of this season and we shall be back in three weeks time with a new one um, so what is kicking off our next cycle Frida I think we have to have another big a sort of a big one to kick off okay well it's, we're up to blockbuster section are we not mm-hmm yeah, and I was inspired because I want to stick. I'm going to. Um, I was just sort of thinking about it from the James Cameron thing and hearing a Mr. Spielberg so much. So I think I'd like to do Close Encounters of the Third Kind ah, because I think it's been a while that was since on my we did list. Aliens. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's. Wow. I'm really happy. Yeah. No. Excellent. Love it. It's a long. I really one, wanted though, to so do this. Buckle yeah. up. Close Encounters of the Third Kind will come back. So yay. Okay. After a break. Fantastic. You're kicking off with Spielberg again. Did we kick off a Spielberg? E.T. Ah. Alrighty. So that's it for 2001 Space Odyssey. That's it for this cycle. Have a lovely break. And we'll be back in three weeks time with Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Um, if you want to join us for that next cycle, please do. Or come and find us on TikTok or Instagram. And you can leave comments on episodes on Spotify now. So if you're joining from there, then do drop in like movie requests and stuff that you want to know or hear or things any comments and questions like if you've got questions about what we talk about in the episodes we can make tiktok videos explaining things in more detail if you would like us to do that or answering those kinds of questions so please do engage with us and let us know thank you for listening uh bye 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 I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that.